Welcome to Facilitating the Mission, the podcast of Shepherd Staff Mission Facilitators. My name is Brian Mondock. And I am Jeff Jackson, and we are in COVID-19 lockdown mode, right, Brian? Yes, we are in lockdown mode. <laughs> um, how is life different for you, Jeff? You know, it's been really interesting because, I mean, most of what I do day to day, I'm sort of alone in my office and communicating with people, you know, over Skype or, you know, through my computer or writing stuff. So in the sense of like face-to-face contact with people that has to do with my job, I don't, it hasn't been that different, but I'm a very social guy. So I like to, uh, like, I'm I'm always out of my office sometime during the day, you know, either out getting something to eat or or just you know walking the street and talking to people, so that that face to face contact with people, I'm I'm really missing. I'm I'm a guy that's uh, on the go. I'm you know people call me Action Jackson <laughs> for a reason, <laughs> and and Action Jackson's wings have been clipped. So how about you? Well, you know for us, it's we live in a, a pretty remote town. I mean, it's a a small town in the middle of the state of New Hampshire in the middle of the woods area of lakes and things. So I live already not in a big town. I'm already doing all of my work remote. I work out of a home office. I've shared the story of of our adopted daughter, Allie, who's a quadriplegic. So we're home taking care of her all the time. Plus my in-laws live with us. And so really I'm already a shut-in. That's not a complaint. It's just a fact. And we've adjusted. And so, I mean, the only thing that's really changed in our lives is um, there's no church. There's no having little fun, little meetings at the downtown coffee shop. But other than that, I mean, groceries, exercise. I'm not exercising at the gym. I'm out walking with my wife, which is always fun. Live in a really cool place to go walk. So I don't have very many complaints. My life is not very different uh, other than you know, the overall sense of impending doom in the economy is just a little overbearing and it's hard to not think about it. And the fact that everything revolves around conversation about what's going to happen, how long is this going to go on? So there's that, I mean, there's that added stressor, of course, and you just want this to be over. But again, my workaday life is pretty much the same right now. And, and, and I pray that it stays the same. I pray for the folks whose lives have changed drastically. So, I mean, my prayer life has changed. Yeah. And I, I think even as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm looking out the window of my office and, and one of the ripple effects, I'm sure is the, the pandemic isn't the, isn't the only contributor, maybe the main one, but not the only one. I'm looking at the gas prices for us here in Southern California at a gas station. I can see their sign and, and gas here is down to two is down to two forty five a gallon. Um, so you know, I mean, I traveled a while back. I was in Missouri a few weeks ago to do some training of a church on missionary care, and you know, the gas prices there were already down to like one ninety nine. But man, for us in Southern California, gas for two forty is a screaming deal. Yeah, yeah, I um, I paid. A dollar ninety three a gallon this morning. Oh man! And and yeah. I have one of those little, uh, you know, I'm at a gas station where you like your member and you get a discount if you use your debit card thing or whatever. But so it was a dollar ninety nine. I paid a dollar ninety three, but I took a screenshot of that, and you know that's like even before this crisis, you know, oil was dropping. So 
Um, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I definitely have zero answers other than I just got to figure out how to manage my own life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I go foraging every other day, go to Walmart, buy my limit of toilet paper. So, um, and, and I, I mean, you can only buy a little bit, but you know, we're doing okay there. And I mean, is it, you know, it's going to be crazy. Someday we're going to look back and say, remember the whole toilet paper thing? <laughs> They'll probably make like, I guess see graphics with 2020 in it. And the zeros are like toilet paper rolls. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There has been a lot of create creative unit humor out there and the same technology that's helping us, you know, to, to get through and communicate with our missionaries and continue to, you know, do what we do as a ministry. <laughs> that same technology is just such a platform for people with creative humor. <laughs> There's some hilarious stuff out there. So, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of time to find it, right? <laughs> and a lot of time to find it. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, that, you know, we wanted to do in this podcast is just sort of talk about what's going on within the sphere of global missions and local churches and their folks. And, you know, I was able to, I had a great talk uh, yesterday with uh, some folks that we served down in South Africa that you actually wrote the blog post about. Um, right. We I wrote a blog post about Melanie and Andrew. Yeah. How do I say their last name? I think name? it's Maklata. Uh, yeah. Mag- Makatla. Makatla. Sorry for put, butchering <laughs> yeah. it, you guys. Yeah, forgive us. <laughs> and also, also was reading a blog posts from their home church because on her Instagram, you know, she's doing this community mentoring program. You probably are a little more filled in. What is it exactly she's doing? You talked to her last night, right? Yeah, I did. I talked to her last night. So they, uh, they're, they're a part of uh, a ministry that's sort of, well, uh, they're part of sort of a multi-site church that within it sort of runs a, a nonprofit that ministers among the, you know, the severely, uh, uh, you know, people that don't have the, the poorest of the poor among them. And they have mentorship programs and uh, a lot of different stuff, uh, discipleship and mentorship and those kind of things. And so, a lot of those people, you know, were already sort of challenged, you know, financially with low paying jobs if they even had jobs. And so a lot of their a lot of their jobs have been affected um, by the lack of tourism and by just the lack of day to day life um, being lived. You know, and they lived on the fringes of that. You know, that's where they got their jobs from. So they've they've actually engaged the community. You know, they've taken uh, they've they've been able to feed quite a few people, I think more than 100 people. Um, take food and uh, stuff to them, and they're just constantly seeking creative ways to be uh, a blessing to the folks that they're already, you know, serving among whose whose situation has worsened because of all this. So the folks that they serve, uh, they're 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 in a service based kind of economy, um, and so with no travel, they're they're not working at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A service-based economy that so much of it hinges on, you know, the warp and woof of day-to-day life and then the the funds that come in from tourism and so forth. And so, um, yeah, so they, uh, they, they were able to, you know, get out into the community of the people that they normally minister from and just bless them in different ways, 
with you know with some food and other other things to help them. So when when you say they're part of a multi-site church, is a multi-site based in South Africa? Is it based? In, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, so their home church is Shades Mountain Baptist in Alabama. That's their home church, and of course, their home church has been really good at um, you know encouraging them that you know if hey if God's calling you to stay there, then stay there and you know redeem the time. And you know, find creative ways to to represent the Lord. The church that they serve on the ground over there is called Common Ground, and it's it's a multi-site church. They go to one of the sites, um, but then within that, they have the ministry that's sort of the social justice arm um, of that ministry is called Common Good, and that's uh, that's what both uh, Melanie and Andrew serve within that with leadership development, uh, mentoring. And those kind of things. Very cool. It's very, so, very interesting. We may, we may, you know, as this thing unfolds, they, we, you know, we, we may want to do a podcast with them because they, uh, they are, you know, doing some really cool things and right there in the midst of the challenge. Well, I feel like, I feel like we absolutely need to, um, you know, especially since the, you know, the only way we can travel is, you know, through technology. I love, I love the, what I, I was on their home church's website um, because they referenced it, um, shade on the shades blog, and um, this blog post on their their website's called "Live Sent in a Quarantine World," and so it's like you have this. They just have this missions language as part of just how they communicate with their church. So it's not it's not a surprise that you have some very missions oriented people going into the field and, and, uh, and she's been, I mean, she's no, she's no rookie. No, no. She's been out there since I believe she went out in Oh nine. Yeah. Uh, or Oh 10 so. maybe or 10. Yep. Yeah. I think it's, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Oh nine, but yeah. So it's been, um, you know, it's been really interesting. And, and, and one of the things that there, there's a couple of things that I think when these kind of events happen, one of the things that always happens, I think, is, you know, you've kind of heard the the terminology, you know, you don't know what is really in a lemon until you squeeze it. <laughs> and so so these kind of events squeeze people and they squeeze the church and they squeeze missionaries. Um, they squeeze everybody. And what comes out of them is really an indicator of what's inside of them that you may not have known about previously. And what comes out of them may reinforce what you knew was already there. Or it may be sort of an amplification of what you already knew was there. Um, or it may be a revelation of what you didn't know was there and you wish would have stayed there. <laughs> and so our, you know, with in the in the paradigm that we navigate in, where we really do leave the home church of the missionaries in the driver's seat with their folks, um, it's this crisis has has unveiled, you know, one of our distinctives that makes us a little different than most other agencies. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to boast or anything, or, and it may sound even like foolish, <laughs> but the reality of it is, you know, we, as an agency, we're not going to make the decision to tell the folks that we serve to come home because we're facilitating them and their presence on the field on behalf of their home church. And so we really do leave their home church in the driver's seat. And, you know, I've got a call here in about an hour with the church that's trying to make a decision with their folks on the field. And, you know, we're here to say to the home church, look, here's some things to think about. If you want them to come back, um, 
or if you want them to stay, here's some things you need to think about. And, and, but we're not going to be the ones to tell them you need to come back. And many other organizations have done that. Many other missions agencies have basically said to their missionaries, regardless of what the home church of the missionary thinks, Hey, you guys got to come off the field. What is the, um, my brain is going in so many directions because I'm having, I'm just picturing all the different kinds of pastors I've had conversations with and they're all over the map. I mean, some, some guys are, are, are barely able to bring themselves to send missionaries into the field because, you know, they, they think that the only safe place in the universe is America. And then some folks are just, just very missions minded. And no matter how hard it is, you stick it out. And um, obviously there's that, that middle way, just like when we were, we were talking to Jackson Wu uh, several weeks ago, he talks about that middle way and, and in you know every controversy, and so I wonder what what is the middle way here? Is there a middle way, or is there a middle way? You know, kind of one by one on a one by one basis. I think it. I think there's a framework uh, of, and it comes. It's sort of from the realm of risk management. There's been a lot of stuff put out, you know, because of the virus about risk, and it's and it's all about risk. I'm missionaries, except. A certain level of risk. You know, we've come up with a theology of risk. It's it, it's risky when you go move to another country and you don't have access to the kind of things that we have in this country. So, I think to me, there you know there are there are risk um, management principles that apply uh, that any any missionary in their home church could could frame this in. And then and then there's the specifics of for each uh, family that's on the field or individual. Um, that their specific context needs to be part of the equation of what does it look like if they do stay and even the risk of them coming back because we have, you know, and again, this is not revolutionary or anything or revelationary, you might say, but, but sometimes, you know, where things are at right now to depart from the field and to come back at this point in time and have to maybe travel through three or four different airports you're exposing yourself to maybe a higher level of risk of getting the virus than you are if you would have just stayed put on the field. So true. So wise. A lot of times just staying put wherever it is, is the best move. But here's a, here's a question is like, you know, in extreme situations like this in crises and even Tim Dabney, the, our security guy was talking about the xenophobia that happens in different and different places where, we're immediately looking for a scapegoat or somebody to blame. And it's never us. It's always them. And in some, and, and, and where missionaries are, they're, they're the foreigner. They're the, they're the, they're the blame sometimes for, for, for things, especially if they're Americans in uh, a country that we might have strained relationships with. I mean, this can, this can go sideways. Right. And, and one of the things that we, you know, have encountered uh, with one particular missionary that we serve um, in the Asian part of the world is, you know, where they've had visitors um, from the state. I mean, in other words, they've been living there quite a while. They know their neighbors. They're 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 good in the lang- the local language. They're a presence, and they've never experienced xenophobia by the people that they've been living among. And and they maybe still wouldn't right now, but they are because somebody from over here went to visit them in the last couple months 
and their their that new person's presence was sort of looked at as well maybe they're going to be bringing the virus with them and now now it's like the local people that accepted you and loved you and would never you know um accuse you of doing you know something harmful towards them now they are because you've hosted a visitor and in, and in fact the specific person that I'm thinking of you know they've had to relocate um to another uh, location within the country uh, and a location where there's a little bit larger expat community there. And the people that live around where those expat community are, they're used to having a lot of foreigners. So, you know, I think that's one of the, when, when you look at like r- levels of risk and, and um, the, the, the sequence of, okay, how much risk are we willing to tolerate? And, you know, that's one of the things that you want to consider for somebody that stays is, there are a possibility that there's going to be xenophobia by the locals, by their continued presence. My gut feeling is, and based on, you know, some of my own experience and you probably had it too, we didn't ever experience anything like this, but when you've already lived there and you've been part of the rhythm of day-to-day life as a, even though you're a foreigner and you stand out like a sore thumb, you're the fact that you've been there quite a while, you've tried to learn the language, you know how to navigate life there. Those kind of people are less, likely to be victims of, you know, xenophobia than somebody that's gotten there recently. Oh yeah. I mean, especially if you're in an honor shame base place, I mean, where, where I lived, you know, and I lived in Africa. And so we were, we were, we were white. We stood out in, in a place where some people never saw a white person in their entire life. Um, but the thing was, is, you know, they, they own, they, they own the relationship with us. They took care of us. They didn't let anything bad happen to us. And it's like, you might be a foreigner, but you're our foreigner and we're going to take care of you come heck or high water. And, and, and I, and I've seen that also too in, in, um, you know, during the Arab spring when missionaries that had some, some time in country, started to experience, you know, maybe hostility from, you know, you know, because there was a, you know, a war getting ready to break out. You know, the people in their neighborhood took care of them because it's like they felt responsible and they felt like a host, even if they didn't ask this person to move next door. It's like, well, they're there and we're going to take care of them. And we're, you know, this is going to be a good place for them to live. So there's that. And and that's something. Yeah. And, and you can't you can't underestimate that. And, and 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 that's one of the things that I believe it's hard for Americans who, you know, who've never lived outside the country to wrap their minds around it. But the, the concept is, look, one of the most important things, uh, safety mechanisms for missionaries out on the field is their relationship with the nationals. And in fact, you know, one of our when we ask our missionaries to fill out a contingency plan uh, in case things go sideways, we want to know who are your trusted nationals, because not only are they going to, you know, if they know you and they love you and they understand that you're there in their presence at a great cost to yourself and your family back over here, you have a level of honor in their eyes that they have, you know, just a culturally not, and not just culturally, but because of their love and respect for you, they're going to protect you. And so if your trusted nationals are telling you it's unsafe and you should leave, that carries more weight than somebody somewhere else saying, yeah, we think you should leave. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that's that kind of thing is going to be surfaced um, in 
in this whole episode uh, is th- those kind of things. And that's the kind of thing where, again, when churches are trying to help, you know, or think through the decision, should we require our folks to come back home? In many ways, the care that they're going to get and so forth there uh, may actually be better than what they would get here if they made that risky trip of coming back, especially through a number of airports and flights. Man, anytime I ever left a place where we had built a rapport, built some relationships, number one, they were always strong. They were quickly strong. They're not, in most cases, they're not late adopters of, you know, befriending and hosting and things like that. They, they jump in immediately. Um, and, and, and I know in a couple of occasions, especially during the Arab spring in a couple of locations, I had friends in, in Egypt and friends in Yemen and, they were advised by people in their neighborhood, you have got to leave. But it was through tears that this, this came, you know, it's like they, it was a painful uh, departure because of the care that, that, uh, you know, just the depth of relationships that they, they had. Um, It is, it's so, it is, it's really hard to explain because it's not something that you see you know, across the fence, you know, these days and, you know, in, in your neighborhood, you know, quite frankly, with your next door neighbor, you don't see that the way you would if you were a foreigner living in a foreign neighborhood in a foreign country. Yeah. And, you know, just uh, as a, as a side note, you really see this, it's, it's, you know, it's the cultural um, practice that you, you know, that you see in the book of Genesis with Lot and and calling the angels who were at his door, you know, into his house. And it was really on display in that movie, Lone, I think it was called Lone Survivor, about the, the, the Navy SEALs that were killed in Afghanistan. And I, and, um, and I forget it. And the guy, the literal guy that it happened to crawled, like literally crawled for like six miles. And he gets into the town. And the, the cultural expression of that was called Pashtun Wali. And and it's the basically the idea of if somebody, a foreigner in need comes into your house, you have a responsibility to protect them. And so near the end of that movie, you know, this this Afghan family receives this crawling soldier. And now the guy, the head of the house has the responsibility to protect the soldier, even against, you know, his own people from harm. And so that's very hard for us to process. Um in our culture and stuff, but that's, that's the, the context that a lot of our folks around the world are, are serving in. And, and, and again, depending on how you define wellness, they, they may actually be better or well, more well off staying where they're at in the midst of those meaningful relationships with those kind of cultural values than they would be uh, coming back here. So, you know, and then you've got the other idea and we, you know, I just, another issue, you know, another person that we're dealing with is, okay, you do come back and, and you're coming back on short notice. Um, so then you've got the issue of, you know, where do you stay when you get here, if you need to self quarantine and do you put the family that you're staying in because you don't have your own house, you don't, you likely don't have your own apartment. You're not going to go into a hotel room where you're just locked down by yourself. So do you put the family members uh, where you're staying in, at risk, and if you don't self quarantine within that house, even so, there's a lot of moving parts to this. You know, Jeff, one of the things that 
is most searched on our website and our most po- popular podcasts always revolve around reentry, uh, support raising and reentry. And, and, and so the idea of reentry into a quarantined America, man, I, I can't even think, I haven't even really thought, thought about, you know, that angle of it, but reentry is so hard and you already have, you know, PTSD almost some, some definitely some, there's for, some form of PTSD or grieving coming off of the field in reentry, but to come into this situation where it's like, I don't know how long we're going to quarantine for. I mean, I'm already like, you know, using this back bedroom of this family's house and. Yeah. And, and there's actually, you know, uh, Again, re reentry is a huge part of missionary care. That's one of the things that we train, you know, the churches that we work with, um, you know, we, the ones that are willing, you know, we get either give them resources or we actually do training with them on how to do a debriefing and how to, you know, love on missionaries that are in reentry. And so, and that's under normal situations where the person's reentering after months of planning, um, they've got everything on the field in order. Uh, their plane ticks are purchased. The people here have had eight weeks of preparation to figure out, you know, where they're going to stay while they're here. Do they have a vehicle? Maybe some meetings set up with people. All of that. Now you got you got tons of missionaries that have returned abruptly, and and so even within the missionary care realm that I'm a part of, you know, I'm a part of different uh, missionary care groups. Um, there was actually a a group um, Skype where somebody was sort of in a sense debriefing a number of missionaries by zoom who have had to come back because of the virus. And so, so part, that's part of what we're going to be doing. You know, what I'm going to be navigating over the next couple of weeks is giving tools to the churches we serve, we serve to try to help them, you know, deal with a, how do you continue to minister and bless the ones that are still on the field? But if your folks have come back for whatever the reason, if they're back, how can you as a church be a blessing to them? Thank you for joining us for today's very sober conversation around the COVID-19 crisis uh, that's happening worldwide. Check back to our website or Facebook on Tuesday, April 7th for part two of this talk about what's happening in ministry and in the world. See you then.